Hey, y'all, how you doing? Good. All right, one more time. That was a little bit weak. How you doing? All right, all right. From time to time, I get the privilege of introducing you to folks that are going to be planting churches for us. And so today I have that privilege again, and I want to introduce you to someone that many of you already know. Uh, Pastor Ted and Tiffany here, Tiffany Young, have been with us uh, for a lot of years. I'll let you go into that. And um, so, uh, but they've been with us and they've served in many different ways inside the church. God has called them to plant a church. It's going to be called Encounter Church, and I just want to allow allow Pastor Ted to talk to you just a minute and let you know about that. So, Pastor Ted, go ahead. Well, good morning. God good to you? Amen. If he's good to you, say amen. Amen. He is really good. This side was really good. Didn't hear anything on this side. God good to you? Amen. Amen. Praise God. So, we're launching a new church called Encounter, which will begin October 14th, and hence the name itself, Encounter. I believe that when a person becomes saved and they know the Lord, that they have an encounter like none other. Amen? And so once God touches your life, I believe that's called an encounter. And so we believe we've been called to help people know what Jesus, who he is, and then have them experience him in a real live way. Not just verbally, but I mean, when God touches your life, it is like something that you will never forget. In fact, being in his presence is super awesome. In fact, you know, the word encounter, when I think about it, just brings back so many memories of how God gave me my first encounter and still gives me encounters daily. So my wife, Tiffany, of 14 years, this is her, this is our son, Tice, and uh, this is our daughter, Taylor Madison, who is my princess, and so we are just grateful that God gave us an opportunity to plant uh, here at New Life, and so I'm going to give it back to Pastor Mike, but before I do that, where's Tina? Tina, are you here? She is somewhere in the building. There she is, Tina. All right. Hey, guys, you can come on out the back now. The people that are coming out on stage, Pastor Mike has no Look at his face. He's surprised, right? He has no idea uh, that I we're... A, I have a safety team yeah. for moments just yeah. like this. <laughs> Fortunately, they were in on it as well. So uh, the, the guys, the folks that you see coming out, Pastor Mike and Tina, would you get in the middle? I've been here 13 years at New Life, and I've seen about eight church plants or so, and... You can fire me later if you wish, Pastor Mike. So if you guys could do me a favor, if you could all stand up for me. It's very rare do we ever, ever, ever really give praise to and, and homage to a person that uh, has, is the reason why the church is so successful. God is number one, right? Because right. without that, uh, we would not be here. But when Pastor Mike and Tina came here 19 years ago, which will be 20 next year, we had about 75 members. One church, and now we are a network of nearly 5,000 people in eight to 10 churches. And so that is awesome. I've had the privilege of knowing Mike for about 13 years, and we are friends high and low, right? So we have been together a long time, and he's done a wonderful job. And so from the Encounter Leadership team, we wanted to present Tina with some roses to let her know, and Lily's, that we appreciate her. And uh, Elsie, who's been here as long as I have, we have something for you. We did order something that did not come yet, so we got you a backup gift, a place called... <laughs> it's my fault. I ordered it late, but so, uh, so the substitute is I love to eat. I'm from Annapolis. I love seafood and other foods. So there's a place called Chart House, my favorite restaurant. Ah! So 
We, <laughs> and so we wanted to give you guys something to say from Encounter. Thank you, Pastor Mike, for entrusting us to plant a church. And Tina, who's been with you for, you guys have been married nearly, is it 30 years? 30, 30 years. years. And look, she said it real quick, Mike. Sorry, Don't think. Okay. So if you could give him one more hand for our pastor of our network, Pastor Mike Wilson and Tina. Amen. So. All right. If you would remain standing for us, come here, Ted. Y'all, I'll come in here. Now, since you got here, you got to stay. All right. So I'd like to ask the ushers while I'm praying to come forward. We'll take care of the offering there. And let's all pray together. And let's pray God blesses this church plan. All right. Amen. Okay, let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. And thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for Pastor Ted and Tiffany. And thank you for their family. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that this entire lead team that is standing here, that you would come around them in power. In, in, in an understanding of people and of ministry that is beyond themselves. I pray, Holy Spirit, that lives would be changed, that people would be set free, that people would find salvation and people would find holiness and wholeness in you. Thank you, Lord, for everything you're going to do. We will give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. You guys can be seated and let's go ahead with the offering. Man, I give you this. Oh, you don't have Thank you. Don't fire me. <laughs> You're good, man. <laughs> okay, that was awkward. Um, uh, um, now i got to figure out what I'm supposed to do. Okay. Um, I, I, I do want to say to you, as we plant churches, if you're new here and you haven't been part of New Life, here's the way this works. If you feel that God has called you to go with Pastor Ted and Tiffany and encounter church and be part of that, you not only have the pastor's permission to go, Need you hear me? You don't have the pastor's permission to stay. Okay? Because if God's called you to be there, you need to be there. Everybody's got it. That's the way that works. You say, well, pastor, if you, don't, if you keep doing that, you're going to empty out the church. Oh, no. I believe in the concept of tithing. Somebody say amen as that plate goes by you. I believe in the concept of tithing, which means I believe that if you give, even when you ain't got it, God will always provide for you and God will always provide, God will always give you more back than you give to him. I believe that. You say, why are you talking about tithing? I thought we were talking about church planting. The same concept that works with your dollars works with the humans that come to a church. And the more people we give away, the more people God will send in. I'm convinced of that beyond anything. And I've seen that work. I've seen that work over and over and over again. And I have told pastors before, I've sat in front of groups of pastors and said, do you believe in tithing? If you want to get an amen, you talk to pastors about tithing. <laughs> you get amens. And, uh, and I said, you're lying. I've just looked at them and said, you're all lying. You don't believe in tithing because you won't give up of your people. And if you won't give up of your people and you can't figure out why God didn't send any more people, the answer is because you're hoarding the people God sends you. And until you give them up and release them in ministry, God's not going to send you new ones because why would he send you new ones when you already got everything you need? So the truth is, the truth is we're going to plant churches. All, we're just going to keep doing this and God's going to continue to provide. Amen. All right, I got to say two more things. I got to say that a uh, that, uh, worship night is tonight. Somebody say worship night. Worship night. Somebody say 630. 630. 
That's going to be tonight in here. And I want to encourage you to come. And here's why I want to encourage you to come to this particular worship night. You don't know this, but I'm about to tell you something. Your staff at this church here in La Plata, your staff has for the last 21 days, Monday through Friday, gotten up early. And you know how young they are, so that's a sacrifice. They have gotten up early and they've been here at 8 o'clock in the morning every morning, Monday through Friday, for the past 21 days, covering this entire property in prayer and praying for you. And I've got to tell you, God's been moving in that. There's an energy of the Holy Spirit that is new and that is fresh. And it's because people have been praying. It's because they've been praying. It's because you've been praying. And we're going to come together and celebrate the end of our fast and celebrate what God has already done. And I want to encourage you to come be a part of it. All right. So tonight is 630. I also want to let you know that we've been talking about prayer and uh, if you have not taken the class to engage in prayer, that, that, one, that one single standalone class that we have, it is being held for the last time this coming Wednesday night at 6.30 in the theater room right across the way. And I want you to be a part of that class. And we have a battle plan for prayer class coming up that's going to be a small group that's going to last longer. You can sign up for that out in, the, out in the foyer as well, okay? So I just want you to know we're doing everything possible to help you engage in prayer for longer than just this sermon series. Everybody all right? All right. Now, I've talked to you about, I've talked to you about prayer in, in a practical sense. We did that two weeks ago. And I've talked to you about prayer in prophecy and speaking in tongues last week. Some of you were shocked that I did that. You're ready to run out of the room. You just couldn't believe I did it, but we had to talk about it because if it's in the Bible, we need to talk about it. Everybody all right? Okay, so it was in the Bible, so we talked about it. This week, I want to talk about another phrase that people get freaked out about. I want to talk to you about intercessory prayer. Now, the reason I'm doing all these lessons this way, and the reason I want to teach them this way is, I think that in the church, we leave things like prophecy and tongues and praying and intercessory prayer to the people that are more spiritual than we are. So the vast majority of the church wants to relegate those responsibilities to just a few people who are powerful prayers, prayer warriors, if you will. When in reality, God has called us all to prayer. Look at your neighbor, say, God has called you. God has called you. Now look at your neighbor, say, God has called you to pray. You need to understand that. We have to deal with that. God's called every one of us to pray. You cannot relegate prayer to Pastor Aaron. You cannot simply relegate prayer to Pastor Mike. You cannot simply relegate prayer to another person in your life that you think is deeply spiritual. Prayer is your job as well as their job. And intercessory prayer is your job as well as their job. In order for you to connect with what this means, I want you to come to understand the biblical concept of intercessory prayer. So let me start here. Prayer is always focused on God. You are always praying to God. If you pray to anything other than the God of heaven, you waste your breath. Because you can pray to an idol if you want to, but that idol, all you're doing is talking to a rock. All you're, talking is to, all you're doing is talking to a tree. And I don't know if you've noticed, but rocks and trees don't talk back. And they don't have a whole lot to say, and they can't make a difference in the world. But when you pray to God, God is the creator of all of the universe. He is still in charge of all of the universe. He is still the manager of all the universe. When you pray to God, you pray to the one who made it all and is still in charge of it all. Somebody say amen. So our prayers begin by being focused on God. But our prayers are also about people. 
In fact, prayer is about the connectivity between God and people. It's about that connection. You say, well, why is prayer, why, I don't, why can't that connection just happen? Well, it used to just happen that way. When God created mankind, he created Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden, a perfect place for them to be. And in the cool of the day, God would show up and just take walks with them. He would just take a walk with them through the garden. And so God is personally, physically with Adam and Eve on a daily basis. But then there is this thing that happened called sin. And sin separates God and people. Sin will separate you from God. And so what happened after sin entered the world is we had what I will call a sin gap ensue between God and the people. God immediately... Once that sin gap took place, God immediately began working on closing that gap. He immediately began working on a way to have someone stand in that gap between him and people so that he could once again communicate with people and people could once again communicate and get to him. Now, this, this idea of standing in the gap is the idea of standing between God and people so that you bridge the gap of sin and bring the two of them back together. Now, God had to do this in a process. And the process went through the Old Testament and then into the New Testament. So what I want to show you is, I want to show you the Old Testament process, which is all based around the person of a priest. And the first issue, the first image of priesthood that we get comes from a man named Moses. So what we're going to do today is we are going to journey through scripture and we're going to journey literally from Exodus all the way to first Peter. Now, those of you that know your Bibles know, wait, that's the whole thing. Yeah, it is I'm not going to read the whole thing. Somebody say, Whew. you know, but I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we're going to take four stops along the way. Cause I want to show you this. I want to show you this concept of how God is bridging the gap between himself and people and the role we have to play in God bridging that gap. I want to show you this, all right? So go back. <clears throat> Moses is called to be the voice of God to the people. Understand, prior to Moses, you really have the voice of God through Abraham to a family, to a small community, the voice of God through Noah to a smaller community. You really have God speaking through individuals to smaller communities. In the person of Moses, for the first time, you get God speaking to entire nations. You have God speaking to the nation of Egypt and the nation of Israel. And God is now, God is now communicating to people in a mass sense. So Moses and the man that walked alongside him, Aaron, they represent the priesthood. And the priesthood is that group of people who stand in the gap between God and people. And so watch. It says here in Exodus chapter 33, so turn to chapter 33 of Exodus, and I want to start reading in verse 7, because I want, I, want, I want you to see this imagery that is going on. Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Now, get this image in your mind. About one to two million people are roaming through the desert as a nomadic nation. 
When they stop somewhere, they all set up tents. So every family sets up their own tent. So quite literally, uh, uh, two million people are walking across the desert. They stop and a city is born in an afternoon. And so they set up an entire city. At the center of the city is the tabernacle, or better spoken for you to understand it, the church sits at the center of the city. Just off from the church, Moses sets up another tent that he calls the tent of meeting. That will really be his prayer room, his office. That's where Moses is going to do his work as his priestly, as his priestly uh, ordinances call him to do. So he sets up this tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring, next verse, anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, verse 8. And whoever Moses, and whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. So when Moses is about to go into the tent, everybody's watching. You say, well, why? Let me show you. This is cool. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Now understand, let me catch you up. As God is leading the nation of Israel through the wilderness, he leads them through a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. Now the cloud and the fire represent the presence of God with the people of God. And so when that cloud is there, it's God leading the people. So, so get, get this image. If the cloud gets up and starts to move, everybody in the nation of Israel starts packing their tent up because if the cloud, if the presence of God is leaving this place, we're not staying in this place. Why? Because we're going with the presence of God. We always want to stay near to the presence of God. And so they would follow the presence of God. So when they set up camp, Moses walks into the tent of meeting and the presence of God visibly settles at the door of his tent as he and God talk. And it says here that when this happened, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance to their own tent. Why would they do that? Because they know that the presence of God himself is speaking to their leader. All that a pillar of, of cloud would settle on the front porch of the White House. Would we not worship if we saw such a thing take place? Would we not worship if we knew? And listen, it don't matter. Y'all are thinking, yeah, this president needs the Lord. Well, so did the last one and the one before that and the one before that and the one before that. We haven't, had, we haven't elected a president yet that didn't need God to show him something. And the truth is, we all, if we could see such a thing, we would worship like nobody's business because we would know that the God of heaven is speaking to our leader. That's what's happening in this moment. They would see it and they would worship. Verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But the, his young age, Joshua, the son of Nun, the one who would take his place, the one who would take his place did not leave the tent. You see it? God's speaking to Moses and God's speaking to Moses' successor years before the succession will take place. You got to see what God is doing. Watch. I want to show you something. If we are to be intercessors, we must be people 
who stand before God. There must be a relationship between us and God that is powerful, unbroken, and unfettered by issues that would block our ability to hear from God. Why? Because we are standing before God for the people. We are standing before God. We must, here I want to give this to you, if we are going to stand before God, we must know God no matter what it takes. We must know God no matter what the cost. You say, what does that mean? Well, think about Moses for a minute. In order to know God at this level and understand the level he knows God at, it, nowhere else in the Bible, no other person in the Bible do we hear about God speaking to them face to face. God came down and spoke to Moses face to face like they were friends. God and Moses sitting down, having sweet tea together in the tent of meeting. Come on now. Do you see it? They're just hanging out like friends. Nowhere else do we see that other than the Garden of Eden itself. And so how does Moses get to this level? Moses' life is turned upside down at least twice, if not three times. Moses' life is turned upside down as an infant when his mother has to give him up. Moses' life is turned upside down as a young man when he tried to take God's will into his own hands and killed an Egyptian soldier when God didn't tell him to and got driven out of Egypt and back to Midian. Moses' life got turned upside down again at the burning bush when, when God told him, you got to leave Midian. He had built a good life in Midian, and God said, you got to leave and go back. Moses' life gets turned upside down again when the children of Israel don't want to follow him and are angry because of the plagues. Moses' life gets turned upside down over and over, and he always pays the price to know God. And knowing God will cost you. A relationship like this with God is going to cost you. Not because God wants to hurt you or God wants to make it difficult, but because you can't continue to hold on to the things of the world while taking hold of the things of heaven. There are some things you have to let go of. If you're going to have a relationship with God like this, and yet the people around us need us to have a relationship with God like this, why? Because we are going to connect them to this God. Listen, you must know God. You must stand before God if you are going to be an intercessor because you cannot take anyone to a place you have never been. Some of us are trying to take people to places we've never been. And I'm here to tell you that God is calling you. God is calling you to know him at an ever deeper level so you can introduce other people to him at an ever deeper level. Look at your neighbor and say, this is about you. Tell your neighbor that. We got to know God, no matter what it takes. Now, the Bible moves on, and I want to show you how this intercession thing works. Because I, I think there's a beautiful image of this in, in Numbers chapter 14. So if you'll turn to Numbers chapter 14, I want to buzz through this. I need, I need to read a lot of this chapter, but I'm not going to. I'm going to jump past it. I'm going to go kind of verse to verse. I'll track, you'll track with me. I'll tell you where I'm at if you're following along. We're going to start in verse 1. Verse 1, it says, this is talking about the nation of Israel as they're in the desert. That night, all of the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Why? Here's what's going on. Moses has led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They have gone across the desert. They have been delivered from the hand of Pharaoh by the miraculous move of God's hand. They have been delivered from the army of Pharaoh by being taken through the Red Sea. They have seen God deliver them over and over and over again. They've received the law. They've 
received the Ten Commandments. They've been sustained in the desert. They've been led by the pillar of cloud in the day, the pillar of fire at night. All of that has taken place. Now they are at the edge of the promised land, the land God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the land that they knew was theirs all along. They're now standing at the very edge of what God has promised them. Moses has sent 12 spies into the land to come back and report. Now, I want you to catch this because sometimes we miss this. All 12 of those spies came back agreeing that the land was a land flowing with milk and honey, that it was where they wanted to be, that it was a plenteous land, that it was exactly what they wanted, and it was everything God ever said it was going to be. All, all 12 of them agreed to that. Here's the problem. 10 of them said there are giants in the land, and those giants are going to squash us like bugs. We're all going to die. And now the nation is not listening to the two, Joshua and Caleb, who said, no, 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 if God is with us, we can take the land. They are listening to the 10 who are saying we're all going to die. Can, 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 can I just teach you something that's not the lesson, but you should tell, take hold of it. Crowds tend to follow negative voices. You need to hear that. Crowds tend to hear we're all going to die and panic. They don't hear God's got this and settle down. We need to hear God's got this and settle down because the two said, God's got it. We're going to be fine. We need to go in. But they all grumbled against Moses. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to, to them, if only we had died in Egypt. Are you kidding me? All this time. And they're still, you do, I don't, you may not realize this. Throughout their journey in the desert, they say things like this. If only you'd left us in Egypt. If only we died in Egypt. Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here today? They say this so many times, it becomes nauseating. They keep saying it. If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us up to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to our slavery? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. We should elect somebody new. Can I just pause and remind us? They did not elect Moses. God chose Moses. Now they're saying, let's elect somebody. Let's reject God and his leader. Reject God and his call. Reject God and his promise. Reject God and his miracles. And let's go back to our slavery. Oh, my word. There's a whole sermon series up in there. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly. The whole Israelite assembly gathered there. You must stand before God if you are going to do this, but you must also stand before the people. You must stand before people because people need to hear what God has to say to you. People must hear what you know of God. People must hear what you've learned of God. You must express the God that you have experienced to the people that you know. Everybody's got this? You've got to express that. And it goes back and forth. Sometimes standing before the people is being face down in front of them saying, please don't reject God like this. And on the other hand saying, please, God, get, just don't, 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 don't kill him. You say, where do you get that from? That's a little intense. No, it's right here. 
Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly. You get a few verses here of Joshua and Caleb trying to tell the people, God, if God is with us, we'll be fine. Just don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people in the land because we will devour them. The protection is, their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid. Verse 10, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Joshua and Caleb did not make it better. They made it worse. Before Joshua and Caleb spoke, the folks were talking about voting them out of office. Now they're talking about killing them. It got worse. They talked about stoning them. And then in the moment when they were about to kill Moses and Aaron, then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. God showed up. The Lord said to Moses, how long would these people treat me with contempt? How long would they refuse to believe? How long will they refuse to believe? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? Not the sermon, but Americans. How long will these people continue to treat me with contempt? How long will we as Americans Refuse to believe in God despite of all the blessings that he puts on us on a daily basis. That's another sermon. I will strike them down, verse 12, with a plague and destroy them. But Moses, I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than them. Can I point something out? This is a good deal for Moses. And it's smart. These people have shown no ability to follow God. They've shown no ability to stay in place. They've shown no ability to stay focused. Everything in their past says they will continue to rebel against God. Moses could start a whole new nation and could start a nation that would focus on God. This can be logical. This can make sense. But Moses understood that what God was presenting here was not a blessing to him, but was the destruction of all the people he had led for so long. You have to stand before the people. You have to know the people. And you have to know them no matter what they say. Y'all, people say crazy things. Can I get a witness? People say crazy things. They blame God for things that aren't God's fault. They forget all the good things God's ever done. They blame you for things you say. Well, you say, well, there's nothing for people to say bad about me. Oh, they'll make stuff up. They did it to Moses and Aaron here. They did it to God here. They made stuff up. They were just mad about the moment, and so they made stuff up about God that was not true. They attributed to God motives that were not his. They attributed to Moses and Aaron blame that did not belong with Moses and Aaron. They refused to follow God. When God was going to show them a miracle, all they could see was a mess. And so they blamed God for a mess that wasn't real. The mess did not exist. God was going to give them a miracle. All they could see is a mess, and they blamed God for the mess that didn't really exist. They made it up, and they'll do that to you. But Moses said to the Lord, the Egyptians will hear about it by your power, that, that by your power you brought these people up from among the Egyptians, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They've already heard that you, Lord, are with these people, and that you, Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard about this report about you will say, the Lord has not been able to bring these people into the land. He promised 
them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Moses is arguing on behalf of his people. You must know people. That means no matter what they say, you got to know them so that you understand them because you must love people no matter how difficult they become. You must love people. Somebody say love people. people. Say it again. Say love people. I'm not talking about some ushy-gushy thing, and I'm not talking about a Beatles song. I'm talking about loving people like real men and real women. I'm talking about loving people who have come against you. I'm talking about loving people who are ready to vote you out and kill you. I'm talking about loving people that are lying about you. I'm talking about loving people that have treated you wrong. Everybody listen to me. I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it a thousand more. Tolerance is not a Christian concept. We are not called to tolerate people. You tolerate things you wish would die and go away. I tolerate mosquitoes and flies. You know why I tolerate mosquitoes and flies? Because I can't kill all of them. If I had a way to make them all die and go away, I would tomorrow. But I don't. Therefore, I tolerate the ones I can't kill. So what are we teaching people? when we tell them to tolerate one another. We're telling them, I know you hate them and I know you wish they'd just die, but at least don't kill them today. And then we wonder why our society's falling apart. We're not called to tolerate people. We are called to love people and love people who have treated us poorly and love people who have treated us wrong, love people who have lied about us, love people who, who, who have hurt us. We are called to love people, and that requires the presence of God. You cannot accomplish this relationship until you settle this one. Y'all all right? Oh, that's a whole nother sermon. I don't want to get too caught up. You say, Pastor, I get this. I see what you're saying. God then says, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you have asked. You see, Moses stood between God and the people. Moses, y'all listen to me, stood in the gap so that the people could experience God and so that the word of God could go to the people, so that the current concerns of the people could go to God and so that the love of God could go to the people. He stood between them. You say, okay, pastor, that's all well and good, but I'm not a priest. Oh, oh. Oh, let's throw some New Testament on this deal. All right, go with me to Romans, Romans chapter eight, Romans chapter eight, because in Romans chapter eight, we start talking about how God has delivered us. Verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Verse 34, who then is the one who who condemns? The answer, if you read the rest of it, would be Jesus. He's the only one that has the right to condemn. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life. Listen to this. Is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Somebody say amen. Amen. Jesus is not, watch, 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 watch. I got to show you this. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. You got to get this. Jesus is here. Watch, watch, watch. God is my judge, but Jesus is my lawyer. Oh, come on. I got to do that again. Y'all didn't understand what I was saying. God is my judge, 
but Jesus is my lawyer. Now, I don't know how Southern you people are, but when your lawyer is the son of the judge, you're in a good position. <laughs> See what I'm saying? I mean, that's going well. When you're when you, I mean, the, the, the lawyer, if your lawyer is the son of the judge, the night before the trial, the lawyer's at the house going, hey, dad, you know that case we got tomorrow morning? I already paid that price. I already let that one go. You got to understand that one is paid for. Oh, come on now. That's what just happened. You know what just happened? Jesus took the role of the priest. Now, I could take you to Hebrews here, but I'm not going to because it's a very thick passage that's very difficult to unpack. But I could take you to Hebrews and show you where Jesus takes this role. He becomes the sacrifice that the priest would have offered. He becomes the bridge. You don't have to go through a priest to get to God. Everybody listen to me. You do not have to go through Pastor Mike to get to God. Somebody say amen. amen. Y'all have a hard enough time getting to me just to say something, much less to get to God. No, no, no. You do not have to go through Pastor Mike to get to God. You go straight to God because Jesus opened that door. The veil between the holy place and the holy of holies was torn from the top to the bottom by God in heaven. And he tore the veil to say that now the presence of God is available to everyone, not just the priesthood. Oh, somebody say amen. That's good news. The Old Testament model of priest is no longer an, an office that is in play. Now, everybody pause. i got to say something. I am not speaking against any organization that still calls their pastors priests. I'm not doing that. That's not what I'm saying. They use that title. But the Old Testament version of what that means is not in play in the New Testament. In the New Testament, this role is not the same because Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is the one that gets us there. It changes. But you say, well, okay, pastor, that's fine. But what does that have to do with me? I'm glad you asked that. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10 tells us this. But you, somebody say you. Yes. Look at your neighbor and say, it's talking about you. Look at Jabez say, he's talking to you. Tell your name. Okay, somebody say it again, but you. Everybody's got it, right? You're all with me, right? But you. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. What? Okay, do me a favor. Do me a favor. Look at Jabez and say, you. you. Look at Jabez and say, y'all, y'all stay with me. Look at Jabez and say, you are a priest. We all play this role now. Watch. Where the priesthood went to Jesus, the bridging of the gap moved to us, you and me. We have to stand in the gap. We have to have a relationship with God and a relationship with people because God's called us to stand. Watch. God's called us to stand between or beside God and people. You say, what does that even mean? It's very simple if you look at the story of Moses back here. There were times when God stood, when, when Moses stood beside the people and gave praise to God. We see that happen over and over again in the story of Moses and the nation of Israel. But there were times when Moses had to stand between, not beside because the people were rebellious and they, and they, and they, they, had to be, they, they had to be saved by God. Watch, 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 watch. Stand between God and people when people are rebellious. And people will be rebellious. But you can't, y'all, church, listen to me. 
We're not called to tolerate people. We're called to love them. Church, listen to me. We have no role of praying that God would smite them. We need to pray that God would save them. We need to pray that God would deliver them, that they would come to experience God on the same level we have. And then all of a sudden, we don't have a smitten enemy. We have a joined friend. You see it? That's why we're called to love people, not tolerate them. That's why we're called to work alongside people. That's why we're called to be the voice of God to the people around us. We stand between them and God when they are rebellious. We stand beside them when people are surrendered. I need you to understand this. I have good friends in ministry who are not of the Wesleyan tribe. I have good friends in ministry who don't look like me, who don't talk like me. I have good friends in ministry who, if you knew them, you would say they were crazy. And yet God's in them and they're barking the name of Jesus. I have good friends in ministry that are so far left on the political scale, you would call them a left-wing nut. But they love Jesus and they're barking the name of Jesus and I'm barking with them. I got friends in ministry who are so far right on the political scale, you would call them a right-wing nut. But they love Jesus and they're barking the name of Jesus and I'm barking with them. I got people who don't make any sense when they bark, but Jesus comes out so I bark with them. <laughs> Y'all with me? I got friends that are rich and poor who bark the name of Jesus. And I got friends of, every, uh, 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 of all different kinds of nations and, and races. And it, it doesn't matter. If they're barking the name of Jesus, I'm going to bark with them. Amen. You hear that? Because listen, listen, being Wesleyan ain't going to get you into heaven. Y'all all right with that, right? Y'all can tell y'all, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to show Jesus my new life membership card. <laughs> That's going to be hard since we ain't never printed one. You know, it's not going to get, being a new life not going to get you into heaven. It's not the way it works. It's Jesus that gets you into heaven. It's not, it's not Pastor Mike. Can I, yeah, again, something that's very common around here. Don't ever tell anybody, I go to, I go to New Life Church, you know, Pastor Mike Hilson. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you want to talk about anybody at New Life Church, I go to New Life Church. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's there. Not because Pastor Mike Hilson's there. You don't need to do that. Because it ain't about Pastor Mike. It ain't about Pastor Aaron. It ain't about Pastor Jordan. It ain't about Pastor anybody. It's about God. It's about the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit's here, you keep showing up. And when the Holy Spirit ain't here nowhere, no more, you go find somewhere else to be. Because I will. We've got to follow the Holy Spirit. Because that's what the Lord needs. That's what the world needs. They need to hear the Word of God through you. Now, I want you to do me a favor. I'm going to have you teach your neighbor something. Look at your neighbor and say, you are called. You're called to pray. Somebody is counting on you. Somebody will only hear of Jesus through you. Now, preacher loves you, it's going to be all right. Look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and say, please don't let them down. Y'all hear me? I can't walk with your coworkers. I don't know the situation of your neighbors. 
Pastor Aaron doesn't know the situation of your neighbors. Pastor Aaron can't walk with your children. You have to do that. You are a priest to someone. That's not in question. The question is, are you going to let them down? Or are you going to build this relationship so you can make the most of this one? Father God, I just want to pray right now that you would make us a congregation of intercessors. That you would make us a congregation of people more interested in bringing others to you than we are in anything else we do. Teach us to know you. Teach us to stand before you on a regular basis. Teach us to know you, and no matter what it costs us to know you. Teach us, Lord, to know people and teach us to love people no matter what is going on with them. Teach us, Lord, to be people that you can use to bring others into a relationship with you. Teach us to be the priests. The priests who bring God to people and who bring people to God. You've called us a royal priesthood, a priesthood of believers. Send us from this place to make a difference. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. There's somebody here today and you are struggling with this idea that you have to be an intercessor. You don't think you're worthy. Trust me, you're not. But God's going to use you anyway. Surrender to it. Surrender to him. Holy Spirit, I ask now that you would show us the faces of men and women who need us to intercede on their behalf. Because, Lord, the world is a dark place. The world is a difficult place. And we find ourselves distracted. We find ourselves discouraged. And Lord, this, this, this darkness in the world that seems to oppress and discourage us, it seems that it makes us tremble. But God, we got to remember that you're the one that makes the darkness tremble. There is no darkness that does not fear you because you are light. So Father God, let us be men and women who bring the light of Jesus into the darkness of this world and set free those who are trapped. Set free those who have been in bondage. Set free those who have been in slavery. Let us be the ones that present the God that can heal and can deliver and can start a new day. Let us be the voice of God in someone's life. Give us courage. Give us words. It's you, Lord. It's you, Lord, who makes the darkness tremble. And we praise and declare you.